Good to be with you this morning. Uh, we are in the second week of a four-week sermon series on the life of David. And uh, last week, I mentioned that David is one of the most famous people in all of human history. And last week, we talked about the story of David and Goliath, which is one of the most famous stories in all of human history. People inside and outside the church know the story of David and Goliath. And I said that one of the reasons David is remembered is because he was a guy who had a lot of skills. He was a mighty kind of warrior, he was a strategist, he was a musician, he was a poet, he was a songwriter, he was a good friend, and the Bible says he's even good looking. And what we saw last week, though, was that it was not these attributes that are the reason God used him, and it wasn't even these attributes that allowed him to beat the giant of Goliath. The difference between David and everyone else was not his skill set, the difference was his heart. In fact, even in the book of Acts, which is written uh, over a thousand years after David lived, it talks about David and is said, describes him as a man after God's own heart. That's how David is remembered. He's remembered as a man whose heart was devoted to following God. That's why he was able to do many of the things that he did. But what interests me in David is that his life isn't always what we think. And he isn't necessarily what you might think always a Bible story hero should be. And so I want to look at a different story in his life today. And we're not going to go in chronological order. We're actually going to jump ahead until after he's been king for a while for today. Next week, we'll go back a little bit as well. But the, the reason we're going to do that is because this story kind of illustrates, again, how do we have this heart like David had, even if things don't always go the way we want them to. And I, I'm gonna say again that I'm gonna encourage you actually to pull your Bibles out when you get home and look at First and Second Samuel uh, because we only have the opportunity to look at a few verses, but there's a lot of great things in here. Uh, we also mentioned there's a study guide for sale in the, in the uh, resource center if you want. It can help you study these things on your own as well. But so I, we're gonna jump ahead a few years in David's life and David has now become king and he was an incredibly successful king. In fact, there's going to be a map on the screen behind me, and the map shows how David expanded the kingdom that he was in charge of. When he took over, it was the little red kingdom. He expanded it to the orange one. His son actually expanded a little bit on the yellow one. And the verse up there talks about all these different groups, all these different kind of people around him, these groups around him that he defeated in order to expand the kingdom. That's why he's remembered as one of the greatest kings in all of Israelites' history. And in, in fact, what, there's an interesting story in the Bible where one of the kind of groups around them, one of the little countries around them, uh, he defeated the Philistines and they're like, we're not even going to fight you, you can just be our king. All right, we're gonna pay you taxes. You just, you just go ahead and be our king. We're not even gonna to try to fight you. So David kind of just was incredibly successful, successful. And at this time in his life, he has everything you could ever want. He has money, he has power, he's got women, he's got everything you could ever want. But what's interesting is sometimes you can have everything you ever want and your heart is still not in the right place. And so this morning, I want to look at a story, and it's a story that provides us some understanding of what we do if our heart does not go in the right place. So look with me, we're going to read 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 says this, in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of his palace. 
From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to her. She came to him. He slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now this is the man described as a man after God's own heart. What he does is horrible. It's horrible. He commits adultery with this woman. We're going to find out even later on. He tries to cover it up, then ultimately has Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. I mean, this guy does horrific things. How can he be a man after God's own heart? Well, we see what the root problem is. It's easy to see what the problem is. He had adultery. He was a murderer. But the root problem of what David did is actually deeper than that. The root problem of what happened to David is not the actions he did, but the root problem was in his heart. And we see this right from the beginning of the story. The very first line of the story was that it was spring, and it's the time when kings usually go out to war. But what did David do? He stayed home in his palace. The main job of a king at this time was to keep your people safe. You were mainly a military leader. That was one of the biggest things you did. And so he was supposed to be going out and leading his army. That's what kings did. And instead, he says, you know what? I don't need to do that anymore. I'll stay in the comfort of my palace and send out Joab. He can go out and fight the wars. I don't need to do that anymore. What happens when our heart drifts away from God is we become much more self-centered. That's what David did. You know, instead of thinking about, all right, I know who my God is. I know God's going to be with me. It's my job to go out and be the king. He's like, you know what? You know what I don't have? I don't have that one woman. David had everything you could imagine. And he decided, you know what? I, I think I need that. That happens with us too. Our hearts drift. They go off in a way that they're not supposed to go. The problem with David was in his heart. And so I do have a question for you this morning. My question for you this morning is, where is your heart today? Is your heart where David's was when he understood, yeah, God's with me, God's for me. I'm gonna go out and live for him. I'm gonna love and serve other people because I know God's with me. I can fight giants. No matter what circumstances in, I know God's with me. Where's your heart where David's is in this story? Where it's like, well, I, this is what I don't have. If I just, if I had a better job, if I had a better spouse, if I had a better th- things in my life, then, then God. That's where David's heart drifted. Now we learn some very interesting things from this story about David's heart. One of the things that comes to my mind is, well, how do I keep myself from getting where David got to? How, how do I keep myself from drifting there? That would be the first thing. Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in many ways, that's the entire thing that our church is about. Our church is about trying to help people have a relationship with God, to know that God loves you, and then live out of that, live with the confidence and the joy and the peace that comes with that. And now, if you're new to this church or new to this whole thing, like a thing like relationship with God and heart of God, that can sound a little like strange even. But what I bet resonates with you is when you look at your life and you look at people's life around you, you go, boy, 
I could see that people really could have a little more joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and confidence. That's something that I'd be interested in. So how, how do we do that? Well, if you've been around BlackRock for a while, hopefully you're gonna recognize the words I put up on the screen. Because what we try to do is help all of us live a lifestyle of worship, community, serving, ownership that helps us keep focus on God. And it says a lifestyle up there because these aren't like magic potions. It's a lifestyle of doing these things. A lifestyle of worship where you regularly attend church because that helps you remember who God is. I don't know about you, but for me, if I don't attend church regularly, my, my heart wanders a bit. Or community, spending time with people who encourage you to grow and hold you accountable. That's so essential. On my own, I drift. But when I have people around me who are encouraging me and holding me accountable, that's what keeps me with my heart focused. How about serving, regularly giving of yourselves to others? Or ownership, which is engaging in spiritual disciplines or other practices that keep you growing? Those are the things that if we live that lifestyle, they help us. They help us stay focused. David didn't do that. And as a result, he got to a place where he did horrendous, atrociable acts. But it started when his heart drifted. But the truth is, all of our hearts do drift at some point. It's natural for our hearts to drift. Most of the time, I don't have to try to, you know, work hard to be lazy and selfish. Come on, Josh, be more lazy. <laughs> our hearts drift. And the great thing about David's story is it also gives us encouragement when that happens. Because remember, David is known as, even today, a man after God's own heart. How do you get from what he did to still being remembered as a man after God's own heart? Well, we need to pick back up with the story to understand that. So I want to pick back up this story. David has now gone. He's tried to cover things up. He's had Uriah's, uh, Bathsheba's husband killed, which is horrible. And now a guy, a guy named Nathan, who's a prophet, is told by God, hey, you need to go confront the king. And that's not an easy thing to do. If you go confront a king, there's a good chance you're not going to make it out of confronting the king. But David lives up to what God told, I mean, but Nathan lives up to what God told him to do and goes and confronts the king, and he does it in a very interesting way. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, says this. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. 
This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So Nathan comes and tells him this rather interesting story about you know rich man and a poor man, and the rich man steals the poor man's sheep. And in the course of the story, David gets angry about what this happened, and then Nathan tells him, well, this is you. And something very interesting happens at that moment. What happens is David's heart changes. David's heart used to be focused on himself. Hey, this is what I need. This would be good for me. Let me go do this. And it changes, and he realizes, I have sinned against the Lord. It breaks David's heart, and David's heart is turned back to God. That's why we remember who David is today. We remember him because he turns back. Now, what does it mean to actually turn back? How do we do that? How do we restore our heart like David did? Well, the first thing we have to do is acknowledge the gravity of sin. Most of the time when we look at our own lives, if we look at things that we, you know, we kind of know, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that, but we usually try to excuse it. We're like, well, you know, I I probably shouldn't do that, but look at this person, they're way worse than me. (laughs) Or we justify it, like, yeah, you know, I probably shouldn't do that, but look at what this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened, so that's why I did that. We see in the story that's not what David does. Because if you do that, you aren't acknowledging the gravity of sin. The truth is, every sin we commit breaks our relationship with God. If we dismiss our sin, it's like dishonoring God. And I can't speak for you, I don't know your life, but when I am honest in looking at my life, I go, man, there's a good amount of times when I'm actually greedy. Now we think of greedy as like Scrooge McDuck rolling around in money. But greedy is just spending more money on yourself than you should when it could be used for other things. I mean, if if I'm honest, I'm kind of gluttonous from time to time. I eat more than I should. If I'm honest, I'm apathetic to the injustice going on in the world so often rather than stepping up and doing things that God would want me to do. Now you may say, Josh, are you trying to make me feel guilty? And the answer is no, guilt actually doesn't go far enough. If we're honest about our lives, the actual actions may not be as egregious as David's, but our heart drifts like David's did. And if we are not honest about the gravity of our sin, we cannot move to the next step, which the next step is genuine repentance. Because the beauty of this, the beauty of this is that God doesn't dismiss sin, but God redeems sinners. God doesn't dismiss our sin. He doesn't be like, oh, it's no big deal, but he redeems us. And the way he does that is through our genuine repentance. Now, I use the word genuine there because sometimes we think of repentance as just feeling bad. Like, oh, I just feel so bad. And you should feel bad. If you don't feel bad, go back to step one, the gravity of sin. 
Because if we understand the gravity of our sin, then we're going to feel bad. But feeling bad isn't enough. Because oftentimes we can feel bad. Oh, I feel bad. And nothing changes. And so we go do the stuff we were supposed to do. Oh, I feel bad. Then we go do the same stuff again. True repentance means you turn away from the, what you were doing that was wrong and you turn towards God. And that has to encompass action. There's no way that can't encompass action. Now that action can be confessing it to someone, getting prayer from someone. That confession, that, that can mean getting accountability with people that holds you accountable, can be joining the group that, that helps you. There's a lot of things that that action can be. But without action... It's not true repentance, because true repentance must turn away from what you're doing and turn back to God. Now the beauty is, the beauty is when we actually truly have genuine repentance, then the next thing is to accept God's complete forgiveness and share that with others. That's the beauty. God says, hey, if you actually genuinely repent, God completely forgives you. And that word completely is important because completely means when God looks at you, he sees you as if you've never done it before. And we, we honestly, we can't understand that because we can't do that. No human being, we can forgive people. We can say, I forgive you. And we can kind of get over what they did, but they're still in the back of our mind. We know what they did and we treat them a little differently and we think about them differently. That's the way humans forgive. God's forgiveness is different. God, when God forgives you, when you genuinely, genuinely repent, God looks at you and he doesn't even see that you've done what you've did. That's why David, who did egregious things, can still be remembered as a man after God's own heart. Because when he genuinely repents, God looks at him and says, you're forgiven. And the inevitable result the inevitable result of that is that you share it with other people. I mean, you can't help but share it with other people because when you understand who God is, when you understand this gracious, loving God, when you understand that God forgives you and sees you as completely forgiven, you can't help but share that with other people. Now, I know this story is over 3,000 years old. The story of David. It may be a story you've heard before, the story of David and Bathsheba. And you can say, oh, that's a nice story, but does that really happen today? I mean, does God really restore people's hearts the way this describes? Can God really take a person that's done egregious, horrible things and actually transform them so that they understand the love of God and are sharing that with others? The answer is yes. God can and God does. And if you don't believe me, let's watch Sean's story. I had a wonderful family that really supported me. Faith was big and key for me growing up. At a very young age, um, I can remember my mother taking us to this church and, and going out and being baptized in a river. Yeah. Having the kind of faith background that I had, I think I got discontented a little bit with church life. And so, and so I started looking outside of church. And when I got to that point, I got involved in a relationship, I think that took me down a road that I'm still recovering from. She's involved in drugs. There's this friction, there's this fighting, 
constantly bickering and arguing for years. She's home, she's upstairs in the bathroom. And I come up and I'm banging on the door. What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, I knew what she was doing. And uh, I was like, well, let me try that. And so I tried it. But the crazy thing about it is that once I had tried it that one time, I had put it down for months. I never picked back up. But when I took it that second time, it had me. I just wanted to be free. Fast forward years later, still involved in addiction. It was no longer recreational use. And so this particular day, I'm at work and I call home. We're gonna go to Dairy Queen when I get off work and we're gonna have a good day. I get home and immediately there's this spirit, if you will, that's already present between us. And we get to arguing and the next thing I know, I'm like, well, let's 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 forget. Let's forget Dairy Queen. Let's let's just make a call. I made a call. Got what I needed. And God. Now the thing that was different in this high from other highs is that. I got so out of my mind. I mean, so gone to where I, I blacked out. And when I blacked out, I ended up hurting the person I love. Police got involved, and I found myself in jail. I got sentenced to about two and a half years in prison. I didn't know what to expect. There are a lot of guys in this, like, level five type style prison environment where you have no movement. They send me to Westville. They level me down to level one, which opened up an opportunity to go to the uh, work release center here in Southern. When I got to the work release center, they called us brothers. <laughs> I'm like, hold on. If you only knew, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you've done. You are our brothers. And when they said that, something went, and I said, I'm not this. I'm not. Life came back into me. Hope and love. And I said, everything's brand new. I've heard this saying quite a bit around here. Love God, love people. And I feel like the second chance that I've been given that I did not deserve. How can I not spend it? Give me back. How can I not spend it enjoying each and every day? Because I didn't have it before. But God is so gracious with 
giving it back. So I smile harder. And I love harder. And I make myself available. Because of the second chance. This reckless love of God that seems to just pursue us, come after us, it chases us. Over these months, God has been opening up and helping me to understand and see this love that is so incredible, that is so amazing, that is so beyond anything I could ever do. I mean, that's grace. plans for the future. Love God. Love people. That's my plan. When we understand who God is, it makes us look at our lives. And so this morning, I want you to just Kind of examine your heart a little bit. And maybe you're at a place where you just need to kind of adjust your lifestyle a little bit to keep you with a heart after God. Or maybe your heart's drifted a little bit. And if your heart's drifted, God's here this morning and he's saying, man, I'm chasing after you. I want for you to feel God's love God wants us to feel that love and joy that Sean talked about, that David experienced, that allowed them to come from guys whose hearts had drifted to people who were after God's own heart. So I'm gonna pray. And after that, there's gonna be a little couple moments here where you can just spend time between you and God. And you might need to pray a little bit to God. You might need to turn your heart back towards him. And then we're gonna sing about how much God loves us, how much God is chasing after us and wants to renew that relationship with us. Let's pray. We wanna thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online, and we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.